Please rise. Court is now in session. All rise. All rise. I strenuously object. A legal podcast brought to you by the Pittsburgh Law Firm of Flaherty Fardo is now in session. All those seeking information about the law and legal matters affecting the people of Pittsburgh and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, half-baked opinions, and a dose of self-indulgence are invited to attend and participate. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I object, Your Honor. Your Honor, I object. You would! Listen, we don't know you. We don't know who you are. We don't know what you do. So please do not rely on anything we say as legal advice. I'm Noah Fardo, presiding. My wingman, attorney Bill Rigel. And all we're trying to do is bring a little irreverence. That's just what this stubby company needs. A little irreverence. Well, let's start the insanity. Call the first witness. Who wants to have some fun? Oh, I do. I do. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun or do you really want to have Hey, Bill. How you doing today, bud? Uh, things are looking up. Pretty excited for what we got on tap today, I must admit. Yeah, it's not bad. Case, the first, first episode of Case or No Case, where two of the most seasoned trial attorneys examine whether modern-day events have a lawsuit or not. Sounds like fun. Yeah, sounds, sounds, uh, sounds like a pretty good reckless time here. Now, our executive producer, PM Mike, told me that the Chris Rock story is too play. It's so played. Really? So played. It's literally been everywhere since it happened. I mean, you cannot go on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere, and everyone is posting about it. Perhaps this is the key. I spend precisely zero time on Facebook or on Instagram. All I know is as a, as a definite child of the nineties that we're talking about basically the biggest or one of the two or three biggest movie stars of my youth. And a guy who was the funniest man on earth for a two or three year stretch in there. One is slapping the other in front of however many millions of people watch it on the Oscars. I find it endlessly fascinating. That said, look, our, our target here is low. All we need to do is have the 730th take that someone's heard on Will Smith slapping Chris Rock be more interesting and entertaining than Allegheny County property tax appeals. And if we've done that, I think we've succeeded. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I mean, as many posts as I've seen about this, I've never seen this take on it, a legal take on it. So I'm interested in hearing what you guys have to say. So here's my agenda for today, Bill. Um, we'll talk about Chris Rock. We're going to talk about the bridge collapsing in Pittsburgh. And in honor of the Pittsburgh Pirates opening day, we're going to talk about some lawsuits. Uh, when, when you go to a ballpark, when can you sue? Because that's always on people's mind when they enter and, and go see a ball game. But, you know, you and I have been doing personal injury for a long time. And I think, you know, we, pretty, we both have a pretty pragmatic view on personal injury lawsuits. And when people should sue and when people not, you know, maybe don't have a case or do have a case. But let's break down for people first, just the basics of personal injury law. When does somebody have a personal injury lawsuit? Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of misunderstandings or or I guess just poorly placed assumptions um, about the way that that lawsuits work um, and liability works. First of all. When you're injured and you have whether or not you have a lawsuit depends in part upon whether or not the injury is someone else's fault. Um, people think, for example, that if an injury happens on someone else's property, they're liable for it automatically. Um, 
And there's a small amount of medical coverage attached to a lot of homeowner policies that does kick in in that circumstance, but but that's relatively trivial compared to the values you're talking about in an actual lawsuit. And in an actual lawsuit, unless the property owner did something wrong, the fact that it occurred on somebody's property, look, if history has taught us anything. If anything in this life is certain, if history has taught us anything. Uh, it's that you can sue anyone. You can sue so, so anyone can, for any reason, any time at all. You can file the lawsuit. Um, it's not going to be a particularly strong one. Um, there are two, there are basically two elements to every personal injury suit in assessing its strength. There's liability. Whose fault is it? What did they do wrong? And damages. How was I injured? What happened to me? How am I harmed? And what is that worth? There's in between those two is the thing we call causation, which is how the thing that was done wrong leads to the injury. Yeah. Liability and damages in every personal injury lawsuit. And growing up in the 80s, I mean, I even remember as a kid, you know, I'll sue you. I'll sue you. Isn't that great growing up? You know, you it, kids, eight, nine, 10 years old, know what lawsuits are. They make fun of it. And, you know, in some ways, 40 years later, um, it's still as humorous to me in a way when people will sue and when people will won't, won't sue. And there's a lot of times where people will get angered simply by the fact that somebody filed a lawsuit because they wouldn't have sued in that same position. And that's, I think that's going to flow right into Chris Rock um, today. There's liability and damages. And in my first year of law school, uh, they taught, they had the class torts and a tort is a wrong. And any, but anytime you're wronged, they taught you that you had a tort and you could sue somebody. So the definition of a tort or a wrong, I mean, that's people feel that they've been wronged in a variety of ways. But as you said, once you've been wronged, unless you also have physical injuries or emotional injuries, then you don't have a lawsuit. Fair enough? Right. Look, there are times when people are negligent, but cause no harm. If I run a red light, but I don't hit anybody, you can't sue me just because I ran a red light. Um, if I get struck by lightning, I've got injuries, but I don't have anyone to sue, right? I can't sue God for hitting me with a lightning bolt. Um, so you need both. You need liability, someone who's at fault, did something wrong, and damages, actual injuries. You know, I um, have a lot of free time on my hands. I decided to write to Chris Rock earlier in the week and tell him that I thought he had a really good personal injury case and he should call me. And um, he hasn't has called, he called me. you. He has not called me yet, but I honestly, with how crazy my life has been in the way I've been able to change people's lives in very odd circumstances. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Rock calls me. I'd be a little surprised. I'd be a little surprised if Chris Rock calls me. So Bill, in the, the basics of personal injury law, right? You got liability and damages. So, Let's, let's play a little bit of case or no case where you and I will put our lawyer hats on and we'll look at some recent news events and we'll take both positions and eventually we'll bring in a couple jurors, um, people that I think are pretty pragmatic and should give us some interesting insight. But I want to talk about baseball. It's baseball, Roy. Baseball. Um, there was a case recently in Los Angeles where a six-year-old girl was with her father on the first base sidelines. She is, the players are over there signing autographs. The shortstop is catching with the first baseman. For some reason, the shortstop overthrows the first baseman and hits the six-year-old girl in the head with a baseball. Case or no case? William, you represent the family of the little girl. Does she have a case? 
so in, in my view, yes, she has a case here. And I say this as someone who personally doesn't like the, the baseball nets extended and, and kind of put a layer of separation down between people in the field. But here's the thing. Baseball, in, a, in an effort to make itself marketable to young kids in particular, has really gone out of its way to make the players accessible during pregame warmups. Um, come over here, sign autographs, get real close to the field and the players. At the same time, out there on the field, the players are warming up. They're playing catch. They're running around. They're doing their stretches. This is not like during a baseball game where there is one ball in play and if you're watching the game, you're expected to be paying some measure of attention. There's balls flying around everywhere. You're over here looking at, um, you know, the first baseman signing autographs or the left fielder signing autographs. And then all of a sudden the shortstop hits you with a ball. Yeah. So you're a season ticket holder for the Pirates, correct? Th that was true until recently. But for many years, you were a season ticket I did, holder. Yes. And when you walked into that stadium, did you ever read the back of your ticket? Uh zero times i believe the answer is zero times but you do uh, understand that there's a waiver on that ticket that you are coming to a ball game voluntarily and you are assuming the risk of your injuries if a foul ball hits you in the side of the head well yes and and honestly i don't know if the waiver has an effect or not on this the, because of the the how common that specific fact pattern is there is binding pennsylvania case law on this point and any spectator who is attending a baseball game um, is to a measure assuming what are the ordinary risks of attending a baseball game. If a foul ball leaves the field in the normal course of play and there is nothing wrong or defective with the setup of the field itself, um, then you have no case. You, there is no liability there. We've decided as a society, we want people to be able to go to baseball games and, and have that not be a ticking time bomb of liability at all moments. Um, What's interesting there is baseball essentially gets to decide for itself how much protection is appropriate. That is, it's measured essentially by a community standard. If my baseball field is the same level of safety as basically all the other baseball fields, then I don't bear liability. So as soon as one or two teams started extending their nets down the first and third base lines, all the other teams had to follow suit, even if baseball didn't make it a rule, because eventually what was going to happen was you were going to get brought into court and say, all these other teams have nets that are protecting their fans who are sitting two thirds of the way up the baseline. Why haven't you? Yeah. When you look at lawsuits against for premise liability, it's called right. Like in a baseball stadium, it's always, what is the community doing? What is the standard, but what arguments can you make? Because I don't think if a client came to me and said, hey, I got hit by a foul ball, I'm not taking the case. I just, unless there's something unusual about it. But in the case of the poor little girl out in Anaheim, um, you're buying your this, this is a case in your opinion? Well, I think the key language you said was, it, you know, if it's ordinary circumstances. I think this is a case because I think the pregame activities, which are both directly addressing and asking children to come down near the field and which are incurring and occurring in such a chaotic fashion that it's impossible to protect yourself and see any ball that might come flying in from any angle. Yeah. It, it's not safe. And I, I'm torn on it only because I want, I want this activity to exist. The kids get the biggest kick out of this stuff. Um, but man, is it dangerous? Yeah, I'm, I think there's a case here too because I'm not expecting the first baseman to miss it. Um, 
you know, it's so unusual. You haven't heard this before that um, it's hard to say the shortstop was negligent, but during warmups, the team has a responsibility. This would be my argument. The team has a responsibility to understand they're drawing these little kids down along the first base sidelines to get this autographs. And they're not going to be paying attention. They're going to be looking at the players. And then here comes a ball thrown by one of the people that you're paying millions of dollars to. That's a case. Um, That's right. And I, and I wouldn't say that anytime the first baseman misses it, there's a case, right? There's errors. They happen. You, you feel 10,000 ground balls over the course of a career, and you're going to throw some of them into the crowd. If you get hit by a ball in play, I don't think there's a case there. Again, unless there's some other problem, unless the there's improper netting or seating or the guy who's selling cotton candy is blocking your view, maybe you can backdoor a case that way. But getting hit in pregame warmups is just a different creature. So, Bill, what I want to do next is bring in some of the jurors. And we had to dig deep to find some old friends of mine to participate. Um, one is Bill Moses. I've known him for 50 years. He had a fantastic arm, um, ran a wing T in high school. Very effective, very effective. Uh, but he provides interesting analysis. I find him very bright and I think he'll contribute. The other is Ron Myers, longtime friend, also known as the godfather of tax appeals. And, um, I want to hear what they have to say about the case or no case. Billy, Ron, welcome. And Billy, let's start with you. Good morning. Welcome to case or no case today. We've been talking about the poor girl out in Anaheim who was hit when the overthrown ball from the shortstop. What case or no case in your opinion? You're a juror. You've heard our arguments. Do you think there's a lawsuit here? I I think there is simply for the fact that uh, Major League Baseball has to account that these guys are not perfect, right? So if you're going to sit in an area where a bat can be broken and go possibly into the stands or a ball goes flying, and, and I think it's, it's safe to assume you should be uh, expect a, uh, some relative safety measures taken. Um, and I do believe, I would like to also, I would, if I was on the jury, I would want to have some examples of, I know there has been things with stands in recently where people actually died falling from different stadiums because they were unsafe. I believe they would be, um, there would be a lawsuit here. Yeah. I mean, the, the people falling off of the stands is different, obviously. And that's, that's more of a, whether the structure was safe, but there was a, there was a foul ball in Pittsburgh not too long ago where the, the, the batter hit the ball. It was a hard foul ball into the net behind home plate person's walking, you know, everybody's on their cell phones now at ball games and the net hit it. So that was in the news and this does happen um, periodically. We got this deep into the show. I don't think there's any fixing it, but I'm going to issue the in media ray correction. Uh, it appears that the injured child was a little boy, not a little girl. It appears that the person who threw the ball into the stand was a pitcher and not a shortstop. I don't know that that changes our analysis, uh, but let's not be completely off base here either. <laughs> well, it could have been a different one. Maybe we read different articles. All right. Next, let's welcome Ron Myers. Ronnie, welcome. Case or no case? Uh, there's definitely a case. Uh, I'm kind of an unsympathetic juror, and I hate to sound callous, but, uh, you know, you assume risk when you go to a game. You assume risk when you go to a concert. I get it. He, we corrected, it's a he, right? The gender? It's a he. He's six. Okay. Not that that matters, right? But you give, you give him some money and move on. Not a lot. Not a lot. 
that's where I'm at. This is fascinating to me. And there's, here's where I want to go next with Billy and, and Ronnie. So Billy thinks there's a case. Ronnie thinks there's a case, but he's kind of, you know, appreciating the assuming the risk of your injuries in a ball game. And the level of liability affects the damages. You know, they're tied together. They're not distinct and separate. If something's outrageous and angers somebody, they're, they're going to award more money. But here, Ronnie's sort of looking at, okay, you probably have a case. So let's talk about the value of the case. If, 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 when you go to a, into a jury, juror room in Pennsylvania, there's 12 people on a jury. Ten need to agree, so five out of every six. And once those 10 agree that there's liability, they have to award an amount. So, Billy, you're on the juror. Uh, of this case first, and you think there's a case break. If I tell you that um, the damages are that this child um, did live, but is experiencing emotional difficulties in school, having trouble learning, um, and we don't know what the future holds, but there's you know fifty thousand dollars in medical bills. Put together how you value the case. How I value the case, um, I, I, I would have to say that um, given the nature of baseball, like when we've all gone to games, you're bringing a glove, and especially if you're seeing in an area where you can catch a foul ball. So I am, I am unsympathetic in, in the sense that I understand when you go to a game, you bring a glove, you expect, some, you know, you're seeing in an, in an area where baseballs can be hit, that you can be prepared. But I just feel like when I look at this case, I know they could win money. I don't think it's going to change base. You know, the, the, the team's going to put up more protection. I just think they would pay it and get and move on uh, because of the nature. It's a little kid. Uh, they were seriously injured and it's major league baseball. And I feel like they would have um, just from a public relations standpoint, have to pay out something. I guess that's how I was looking at. It. How about a dollar? How about a dollar amount, Billy? Can you put a dollar amount on it? I think for me, and I don't know if this is, again, I'm not a lawyer. But I would have to look at, and I don't know in, in a juror, I've never been a juror before, so, but I would imagine I would want to look at similar cases and, 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 and have that to make those decisions. But I, I think that's the medical costs, right? So that's a fascinating answer in part because we have heard jurors tell us exactly that, right? We want to know what, what's being given in other cases. Jurors don't want to be out of step with what everyone else is doing. They want to kind of fall in line. No one is allowed to tell the juror what has been awarded in other cases or similar cases. It's information that all the jurors want. And as a matter of law, they're just not allowed to have. Okay. I didn't realize that. So um, if I was putting a number on it, I, I'm going to put the medical costs and then uh, emotional, anything, you know, that has to be covered with that, with, you know, I would imagine there's going to be some counseling therapy. You said $50,000 in medical costs. Is that what you said? No, assuming $50,000. Yes. I don't know. I mean, it's so arbitrary. Uh, 150,000. All right. We got a number. We got a lot. Listen, Billy just determined a verdict. He determined liability and he determined an amount. Ronnie, you weren't as sold on liability. Discuss how you value the case as a juror. You know, I, I literally had the number $150,000 in my mind, which is interesting to say the least. So, but the one question I would have, like, how damaged is this child? That matters to me. I mean, if it's just a, oh, I got a black eye and, you know, and I get to show off at school and I got the 
yeah, you're going to get up in the couple hundred thousand dollar range, right? You got to pay for pain and suffering. We have to know how damaged this child is. Do we know the answer to that? How, how injured this child is? Yeah, you were breaking up a little One, bit. you're breaking up. Two, no, we don't. We have, we have news yeah. articles, right? We, I, I, we, we don't have access to this child's medical history on a case. Just not a thing I can give you. Sorry. So, Bill, what's fascinating to me is not only were they pretty close, I and mean, we didn't get into the details of the medical records, but both of at least these jurors were pretty close in the value range of $150,000, which as lawyers, you know, isn't a lot of money um, in terms of, you know, what this case will probably settle for. And, you know, every juror I've ever talked to, which is always interesting to talk to jurors after a jury trial, and you ask them, what is a case worth? Every single juror says, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea how to value a case and they're lost and they're looking for guidance, like Billy said. And the other thing they don't know um, and, and don't kind of think about, and, and the law kind of tells them not to think about it, right? But if you get to the end of a trial and you award $150,000, but you paid medical experts to come in there, you have attorney's fees coming out of there typically at 40%. Um, you have you know, maybe a subrogation lien where you have to repay medical bills that have already been paid by an insurance company. You know, you, you go to trial on a case like this and you get $150,000 verdict, you might get $70,000 to the actual injured kid. 70. He may not even get that. See, I think this is a case. I think I take this case and I think there's a two to $3 million demand. You know, I, you get a ball club that you're always looking at the wealth of the defendant, but you know, that's where everybody's in agreement case, case on the ball. So if you go to a ball field, probably don't have a case, but if you do, it may only be worth $150,000. Okay. Case or no case. Number two, Billy and Ronnie are still with us. Our jurors, uh, bill recently, a bridge collapsed spontaneously. In it the, sure did the Fern hollow bridge on the day that president Biden uh, visited Pittsburgh. Um, and I read recently that lawsuits have been filed by people that were in the cars on the bridges and nobody died, uh, but they did I believe there was a cervical fracture. I'm sure you'll read the newspaper and correct me because I, my facts aren't always correct, but case or no case, you're on a car on a bridge, the bridge collapses, you suing, arguing yeah, a couple, for a case? A couple- a couple things just to, to try to move quickly through here. First of all, I don't know anyone who knew that the name of this bridge was the Fern Hollow Bridge until it collapsed, but it's, you know, it's Forbes Avenue, uh, right as it's coming into uh, uh, Frick Park uh, and the Regent Square area. As someone for whom this bridge is literally on the path between my home and our office, um, I've driven across it however many times. I had no idea it was as high as it was until I saw some of the footage shot from down below. Um, and interesting to note, um, the couple who was just in the news for having filed a lawsuit uh, were the couple who were in like the, the red Ford pickup. I think it was a Ford. In any case, a red pickup truck that collapsed with the bridge. Uh, I too drive a red pickup truck. I had family members taking pictures of that on the news and sending it to me asking, was that me? Uh, did, was I involved in that collapse? Uh, I wasn't. I was working from home that day. Uh, thank God. Looking at case or no case. I mean, the arguments for a case are pretty simple and straightforward. Bridges typically don't collapse in the absence of negligence, I would think. And somebody has to have a duty to inspect the bridge to see if it's safe. So I'm 
thinking there's a, a case all day long, I mean, there's an issue with immunity, which we can talk about briefly if you want, but are you, you're agreeing with me there's a case here? So that is the whole issue, right? If this bridge is a privately owned bridge, uh, there is clearly a case against the owner of that bridge for failing to maintain it properly. Where things do get a little more complicated is that you've got a variety of governmental entities, all of which are going to have some role or another in this. So my understanding, and it's limited, I, right? I don't, I don't represent anyone on this case. I haven't done the research on figuring out who all the theoretically responsible parties are. Um, but my understanding is that the, the city owns the bridge itself, but I'm not sure if the city was the one doing the actual maintenance. There were state reports uh, that were commissioned at least by PennDOT. I'm not sure if they're performed by PennDOT employees or third-party independent contractors who were doing bridge inspections. Um, tracing through exactly who it is it, who you want to sue here is important because the general overarching principle until you fit into an exception is the government negligently performing government duties is not responsible. You can't sue them. They have sovereign immunity. But um, there are a list of statutory exceptions and the conditions of a roadway are one of them. Um, so in this case, I think you're going to, once you figure out who the right party is, I think you're going to fit into that exception. Um, but that is the only real confounding circumstance here, in my opinion. Otherwise, liability should be straightforward. Yeah, I look at a bridge collapse like an airplane going down. I'm suing everybody. Sue everybody. And somebody has to be responsible because airplanes don't crash in the absence of negligence or a malfunction of some sort. Um, let's bring in the jurors. Sue them all. Let the court sort them out. Sue them all. Let the court figure it out. I got Billy and Ronnie with me still. Billy, um, were you familiar with the bridge collapse in Pittsburgh? Yes, I was. That was national news. I partly because of the bridge. I didn't believe it was the same day Biden was coming in to talk about infrastructure. Um, you're a juror. You're a juror, Billy. Um, any any hesitation on, I mean, this is fairly obvious. This is a softball, but any hesitation, thoughts on liability? Can you, you're a juror. Can you, if the family sues that was parked on the bridge, you buying or selling? I'm buying. I'm buying. Someone should be responsible for it. I just don't know. No one was killed, but I don't know, um, like you guys were saying, who would be responsible for it? Because that would be one of the main things to find out. But there has to be some negligence there. Ronnie, you agreeing? Oh, absolute case. This is this is juicy. I'm giving away the farm. So, Ronnie, I think it's interesting that you 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 now like this one, and you think the liability, and you're well, you're ready to award more money. You know, when you look at personal injury, you got physical damages, and then you have emotional damages, and they those are those are two distinct types of claims. That's like being thrown into a shark tank, as far as I'm concerned. Well, let me, a bridge let me, let me, collapsing when I'm on it. Oh my! All right, let me ask you this: case or no case, I throw you into a shark tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want a, this is a great case. And again, I go back to like, how injured are these people? Like, are they maimed for life? If they are, these guys are getting paid millions. Let me ask you this: Let me get your opinion on value. And I'm gonna, if my facts aren't correct, Bill, then I just make them up. But let's assume theoretically that there was a fracture, there was a back fracture here that. It's a, it's, it's a non-surgical fracture, which means it's going to heal in three to okay. six months. Um, but they certainly did have the fear of thinking they were going to die, or I assume those were their thoughts. Well, um, and, and let's remember, 
in virtually every one of these cases, if you have a fracture, yes, it quote unquote heals. It's never the same. And you're all, you're going to have permanent back problems as a result of this. The question is the severity, not the permanence. All right. Billy Moses, we need a number. Uh, well, I, you know, um, I love Ronnie. Uh, I can imagine being in a jury room with him. He would be very influential. He's a uh, very good, very good takes on this. But um, I, I think that as a juror, one thing that popped into my mind is I would want pressing it set because although this case, uh, despite the injuries and, and there were no fatalities, I think that you would want to set a number that gets other counties or whoever's responsible to take notice. Like, let's make sure we're taking care of our, our, our infrastructure. You know, I don't know if that's if that could factor in in a lawsuit or if it should, but that's the one thing that, that enters my mind. And I would imagine, um, I'm with uh, uh, Ronnie on this one. I'd go for I'd go for broke, whatever that number. I'm just really bad at the numbers, but I'm going to say um, million dollars. Like I just made that up, but I mean, what what you you are going to want to set it high so that it gets people's attention. Interesting, uh, Ronnie. What do you got for me on damages? Okay, so I got a couple things here, right? You have an injured back. I don't know how severe, but it sucks. You're going to have that forever, right? You got to give money. The fear factor, I can't get over it. Like, I won't be able to drive over bridges, and that's an impossibility in Pittsburgh, right? Like, I'll never go over a bridge if, if a bridge collapsed. That's it for me. And then lastly, the negligence. Someone's inspecting these bridges annually and saying they're okay. And obviously it is not okay. I'm in the $10 million range with this thing. To be like, fair, this is, as best I can tell, nobody says it was okay. They're saying this bridge is in terrible shape and nobody did anything about it, which there to you me go. Is even worse. worse, even worse. Give them more money. I just, I just went up 20%, $12 million. And you know, what's amazing to me, Bill, is that these are like real jurors. You know, these are these, this is the type of conversations that jurors I'm angry. Really really have. listen to me listen to my voice it's raised i'm angered um I, but it, it's, it's so funny because bill and i know that you guys are looking at this just from common sense you know you're not lawyers we're looking at these cases completely different in our minds from a legal perspective the baseball case when you have a young kid with potential you know many years to prove damages out typically from a lawyer's mind would be worth more but that's not what i'm seeing i'm seeing okay a, a fractured back, which can be bad, but they can also have less severe fractured backs. But just the negligence here is raising the value of the case so much. So I think that's a, you know, how did, why is somebody negligent? And if that can anger or motivate the jurors, it's obviously increasing the awards. All right, next bill, we're going to talk about case or no case, the Chris Rock slap heard around the world. What so, the five fingers stay to the face. Yeah, he slapped the shit out of him, didn't he? He did. Um, he did. So I was thinking lawsuit fairly early on, and then I read a Jim Carrey article um, that he was the one that I saw first throughout. He should sue Will Smith for $200 million. Um, let's represent Chris first, and then let's represent Will second and talk about whether there's a case or no case here. So you represent Chris Rock. Make an argument to me why he has a case. Well, look, I mean, this is the <laughs> this is the easy and obvious position. He has a case. 
$200 million isn't even ludicrous. And, and that is even though, I, as far as I know, let's assume, and I, and I don't know this to be true, but let's assume there's no actual lasting physical injuries, right? Let's assume his face was swollen for a day or two, but that he doesn't have hearing loss or dental problems or something that we don't know about, right? Let's just assume that he is physically fine, felt some pain in the moment, but got slapped in front of 50 million people, you know, in, in front of live TV cameras and a live studio audience. Um, look, slapping someone, that's a battery. Um, it's interesting to note that it, the criminal statutes get these terms confused sometimes. Well, confused is not the right word. It just means something different in that context. Um, we will use the word assault in a lot of criminal contexts. And implicitly, the assault means the physical contact. When you're talking about lawsuits, there's a difference between a battery and an assault. The battery is the actual physical contact, the unwanted touching. And the assault is the imminent apprehension of the unwanted touching. Uh, so in, in my mind, there is some moment during the course of Will Smith's big wind up and slap that Chris Rock realizes he's going to hit me. That's the moment that an assault happened a torturous assault. And even if he doesn't hit him, even if he misses, there is some suit available for that, for that moment of, of feeling like this is coming. And then there's the slap itself, the physical contact. Um, both of those are actionable. Both of those definitely give rise to a claim of liability. We frequently get calls from, from prospective clients who have been physically battered or physically assaulted. And we're left telling them all the time, look, you've got a case, but unless the person who hit you is independently wealthy, there's no insurance company that's going to cover this slap. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think you can sue the Oscars. I don't think the security was lax. I don't think the Oscars are required to predict that when, you know, a star the caliber of Will Smith approaches the stage, the thing he's going to do is engage in a physically violent act. Um, but you don't need to make a case against the Oscars, right? Will Smith actually has enough in his bank account that you can you can sue him independently here. Well, well let's break this down a little bit. So 99 out of 100 times, if somebody calls you and says that they got slapped, you're not going to tell them they have a personal injury case. I mean, in theory, a tort happened. Somebody was wrong. So I'm curious if they're hurt. If they're physically injured, I might consider it. And normally, if they're not physically injured, I'm telling them I, there's just you have a case, but it's a small case. It's like it's like bringing a lawsuit for a fender bender. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, let's make our argument to the jurors, because, you know, my argument on liability is pretty clear that the law does not allow us to go up to strangers and hit them, that we all have a sense of privacy and pers of personal space, and we're not allowed to cause harm to somebody. And then the question is, what is the case worth? And I want to, you know, I want to try to convince these interesting jurors who seem to be motivated by why it happened or protecting people in the future. Um, but you got, we, we talked a little bit about physical and emotional, right? The physical injury in this case wasn't severe that we know of. So why should these jurors award Chris Rock money if he wasn't physically hurt? Two things there. Uh, in in all of our cases, when you look at the way that the law talks about compensation for injuries, included in your compensation is embarrassment and humiliation that you were caused. That is a specifically legally compensable category of damages. And in most of our cases, when you're trying to figure out what the embarrassment or humiliation is, it's, look, do I have scars, right? Do other people who see me 
you know, see my scar and I feel embarrassed. Very rarely is someone injured on such a public stage. One thing I would like to point out that is super relevant here in my mind is the fact that it was a slap. This wasn't a punch, right? If he's trying to really hurt you, he's probably going to punch him or, you know, this isn't like a, an MMA palm strike. Uh, this is a slap. This is intended as an act of disrespect. It's not quite the same as spitting on someone. It lives in the ground between spitting on someone and punching someone where it does a little more physical harm than spitting, but is not is fundamentally an act about embarrassing uh, Chris Rock, not fundamentally an act about injuring him physically. Yeah, that's, and, that's a good point. I like that one. I mean, and it had its desired effect, right? You're talking about a guy who, who went from being, you know, whose career biography is look at all these movies and these stand-up specials. He was the funniest man on earth. There's a reason he was still there, uh, you know, presenting awards at the Oscars, right? That's how big a star he is. And now being publicly slapped in front of all of these people is part of the first paragraph of his, you know, lifetime biography. That matters. That is a complete change in the way society views and remembers Chris Rock. Um, I have no idea how many millions of dollars that kind of change in your legacy is worth, what it's worth for that many people to have seen one of the most embarrassing and humiliating moments of your life and her right live in front of them. Um, you know, at some point at these dollar values with these levels of fame, it's all monopoly money. How much do you have to, how much is that worth uh, comparing one to the other, you know? Yeah. I want to bring the jurors in. I also want to touch base on how we would defend Will Smith. But what I would say to our jurors is that the law will tell you that you must compensate them fairly for any and all embarrassment, um, stress, anxiety. And when you look, I wouldn't be surprised. Hopefully Chris Rock lives a long life, but when we look back on his life 40 or 50 years from now, people are going to remember that Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. I mean, you use the word legacy. If I'm arguing to a jury, you've permanently and irreparably damaged the reputation and legacy of Chris Rock forever, because there are people that are going to look at it and think less of that. He is less of a man because he got slapped on stage in front of millions of people. And to put a dollar value on that, you know, one of the things I was thinking about telling Chris, if he does call me, is take a year off because if we can show a wage loss that you were unable to work or it affected your ability to work in any way, I mean, you're looking at a couple hundred million dollars in my opinion. Disagree? You're shaking your head. Yeah. I mean, the thing I'm disagreeing with here is essentially telling the podcast audience that you would be suggesting that someone cease working for the purposes of driving up their wage claim. Please don't do that. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. I would certainly advise them that if you do or if you are unable to work for any reason, that it will be a recognizable claim. Let's switch, let's switch hats for a second. Now Will Smith is calling you and he said, I made a mistake. I slapped Chris Rock and I'm getting sued. What arguments are you making to our jurors as to either defend him or limit exposure for Will Smith? Well, the, the most obvious way to try to limit exposure is just to point out that you, you didn't do any physical harm. And then otherwise, your your best defense is simply to point out the act of provocation, right? That, um, that you were there, you were taking this action because your wife's serious medical condition was now being described, you know, was the butt of Chris Rock's joke. 
Um, and in the moment you were, you were overwhelmed by the desire to, to stop that because that's, you know, kind of verbal abuse of your wife on, on, on a sore subject. It's, it's obviously not a, a, a good legal defense, right? Those words do not rise to the level of quote unquote fighting words uh, where th they so outrage you that any action you take afterwards, you're not legally culpable for. But as we saw with the other cases we talked about, a big part of the way that, that lay people, jurors, anyone associates or, or comes up with a value for a case is based upon how outrageous they think the action is. So the best defense he's got is to minimize the outrage by trying to put himself in the position of, you know, a husband who's, you know, who has seen his wife hurt in this way by having this brought out in public. And the less outrageous that looks, the better it is. Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. I mean, I think I'm telling Will, I think I'm telling a jury on behalf of Will Smith that, okay, he had a major brain fart here. All right. Nobody is saying he didn't make an enormous mistake. And you got to sort of fall on the sword first that, yes, we're wrong. But, but, but your job as a juror is only to award fair compensation for the actual injuries which were suffered. And the injuries and the physical injuries are just a bruise. You can't, let's not get crazy here. Let's not get Sue happy. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, the other thing is, and it's going to depend on the way that the facts are developed here. Um, you have to soft sell this if you're, if you're representing Will Smith. That's right. That's right. But what you can try to soft sell is look at the big boost to Chris Rock's Q rating. Oh. Now, now look, he didn't receive the benefit from that yet, right? The the prices for his stand-up shows in the weeks that followed were through the roof, but that was all secondary market stuff. He doesn't pocket that game. But eventually, if you're really getting to the point where you're having a trial and he's putting on his economic losses, you get to go through his books and say, you sold more seats for more money at the, at the next five years of comedy shows that you did because of this act. And now you... You can't take credit for it, but you, you have to use economic experts to talk about that and bring that dollar figure down. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just to harp on it a little bit before we bring the jurors in, if I'm representing Will Smith, you know, when you have a wife that has a medical condition, it's not that outrageous to be protective of her. And nobody has any idea what we've been dealing with at home concerning this or the stress and anxiety and unless you know what our family has gone through and how this has affected her, I wasn't even thinking at that point because all I was doing was trying to protect her. I made a mistake. Um, but now let me put my other hat on. That's fine, Mr. Smith's attorney. How, how many hats do you have? Oh, well, don't worry about that. Mr. Will Smith's attorney. Okay. <laughs> um, the other argument I could make in, in looking at it, though, is when you do something outrageous, extreme. The law allows for what's called punitive damages. And the point of punitive damages is to deter this kind of conduct in the future. And I guess I'm going back to representing Chris Rock, but what I would say when they, when Will Smith's lawyers say he wasn't that hurt, she was sick. He was protecting her. I would say, yes, but punitive damages are warranted because in a civilized society, we cannot have this kind of conduct. And when you get into punitive damages, and this is where it gets interesting, you can look at the net worth of the actor or defendant who caused the harm. So here you have Will Smith, who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. 
Um, but then again, remember, you've got to convince, you know, a, only a couple jurors to agree with you. It's not, you know, you don't get unanimous, but let's bring in the jurors. Let's hear what they have to say about this. Billy, um, Chris Rock, case or no case? He has a case for sure. Um, and just to be clear, I don't know. I haven't read this, but he may have injuries that we're not aware of. I know um, several years ago, there was an infamous slap that happened on, on TV, not as big of a audience, but it was a, a 2020 years ago, they were doing a piece on uh, wrestling and they had Dr. David Schultz and uh, the, yeah, he, he slapped the shit out of John Stossel. Staunch, yeah. And John Stossel uh, sued WWF uh, and, and the wrestler and had hearing damage, right? Is that, I, I believe he had permanent hearing damage to that ear. So he could have, you know, there could be injuries we're not sure of. I do think the fact that he just, that is permanently in his obit now. Like that, that would we, and we're going to be seeing that for years and years and years. They're going to be playing that moment. Just it makes the case that, I mean, the sky's the limit. I do believe as so this is such a high profile case as someone um, on the juror, the only chance I think for Will, if you were defending Will Smith, um, well, first there's phys physical video evidence of him laughing at the joke. So that's kind of hard to say he was in a rage, but I do think that uh, Chris Rock has kind of gone, has played his cards exactly how he needs to, but he has made the comment, like, I I'm only talking when I get paid. So he's looking for like a, you know, but I mean, you can't hold that against them. I just think that uh, the, the, the evidence is overwhelming that, uh, now, whether he would choose to do that because of bad PR, like suing another actor, I don't know. But he definitely would have a case. How do you value it? This is where I have a big weak spot. I have no idea. Like, I, I think you've identified with me as a juror. I literally have no idea how to value it. I just think it would be astronomical because uh, th this is like that guy getting dunked on I, I, in a, you know, for life, like on the uh, Michael Jordan poster. You know, or you're on the front cover of Sports Illustrated getting dunked on. It's going to follow you. So I think that number, sky's the limit. I, I would say millions. I need a number. You're on a jury. You can't leave that jury box without a number. Oh, God, it's so uncomfortable. It's hard. He's already a millionaire. That's hard to, to, to separate. But I'm going to say uh, you'd have to put a price tag on what's going to potentially cost him. And we don't know if he has any kind of post-traumatic stress, if he's afraid to go up on stage, which clearly isn't. But um, I'm going to say, let's say um, I'm going to award him royalties to every one of Will Smith's movies. No, um, I'm going to say it's going to be, let's say, $25 million. All right. Thank you, Billy. Good. Ronnie, you with us still? I wasn't aware that you could sue uh, based on someone's net worth. So with that said, that, you know, that takes this award into the stratosphere, right? Um, it's an egregious act. It's an embarrassing act. I mean, even though he wasn't injured, and that's usually what I hone in on. Like, how injured is this person? How long is it going to be with him? Well, that embarrassment is going to be with him forever, right? His whole career. They're elitist Hollywood actors, and they're both worth tens of millions of dollars. Can we just move on from it, Right. I have that kind of thing going through the back of my mind. But as a juror and recognizing that you could sue based on someone's net worth, yeah, this guy's going to get paid. I, I'm 25 million. It's in the tens of millions of dollars. And consulting with my other 11 jurists, 
I can be convinced to go even higher. All right. It sounds like we have a consensus on that. You know, Bill, what's amazing to me is you look at these cases we've talked about today and Billy, Ronnie, thank you so much. I mean, you guys are great. Um, but you look at how regular jurors value cases and the highest case is for the least injury, in my opinion, potentially. I mean, the least physical harm, at least. They're, they're ready to give Chris Rock $25 million. They're going to give the little boy who got hit by a baseball and has brain injuries as a six-year-old $150,000. Isn't that the chaos of this system? Well, yeah, and the whole system asks jurors to do a thing that we as human beings, one, have no experience in doing, right? We're trying to do some sort of monetary conversion between injuries and dollars. Nobody knows how to do that. That's a, it's, a, it's a nonsensical ask. And then the second thing we ask jurors to do is to kind of block out things that they know and that they've heard and that we know and that we've heard and kind of isolate the issue. So in theory, you're telling a juror, once you've decided that the plaintiff is liable over that 50, 50.1% mark, then the only question that matters, you now don't think about how bad the action was anymore. The only thing that matters is assessing the injury. And we want the jury to think about who's at fault in complete isolation, in a vacuum from how bad the injuries are. And as we've seen, that is not anyone's natural instinct. Everyone's natural instinct is to consider how egregious the, the wrongdoing is in deciding how to put dollars and cents on it. Our jury system asks them, at least implicitly, often explicitly, to shut that part of their brain off and do a totally different and unnatural thing. I don't know that they do it. Well, it comes back to what you said earlier, too, where you, know, you talked originally about valuing the case versus valuing the injuries. And that can go both ways, where you might have a severe injury in a bad case. Or you could have a mild physical injury, but a really good case, because what jurors do is they consider the totality of the circumstances, both on liability and damages and combine them. Um, and you and I have been doing this for a long time. You never know. I don't care who you are, how many jury trials you had, what judge you are. You never know what a jury is going to do because they will pick up things either on the liability or the damage end that could sway the number drastically either way. Um Thanks to our guests for joining us today. Thanks to everyone here who listened. This has been I Strenuously Object. I believe this is an episode during which I've not objected once. Uh, be that as it may, this is our first, but hopefully not our last, case or no case. Hope you guys enjoyed the format. That should about do it for this episode of I Strenuously Object. Hopefully you learned something or had a few laughs at least, got some value of some kind from our time together. If so, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Tell your friends to check out this podcast. It's the only way it can grow. If you have questions for our mailing it in segment or other feedback about the podcast, email us at iobject at pghfirm.com. Noah, anything from you? Hey, thanks, Bill. For more information on personal injury questions in Pennsylvania, visit our website at pghfirm.com. Click on the personal injury section and answer questions such as, do I have a personal injury case? How much is my case worth? And which personal injury attorney should I choose? pghfirm.com. Thanks and have a great day. All right. Until next time, some insightful, parting legal advice. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. All right. Counselor, are we adjourned? We are adjourned.
Stay classy, San Diego. We want to hear from you, our listeners. You can email us your questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes at iobject at pghfirm.com. Or DM us on Instagram and Facebook. Follow us at Flaherty Fardo on Instagram or Flaherty Fardo Rogel and Amick on Facebook.